Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach. Because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Hello and welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast. Um, yes, we are back, season nine. I'm here with Matt, as always. Hello. Hello, yes. And we are. We won't do a big, I won't do a big long intro because we have a very special guest with us today and I want to get stuck into that. So Matt is going to introduce our very special guest because we're going to be touching on a topic today that... Uh, we get requested about all the time, which is menopause. Um, so we're going to do a deep dive, um, Dr. Katie, today. So Matt, take it away. Introduce our very special guest. Yes. So we're all going to get smarter today, which is fantastic. So we've got a very special guest on, Dr. Katie Hirsch, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Exercise Science at the University of South Carolina, Arnold School of Public Health. The research focuses on the effects of exercise and nutrition on body composition, muscle and protein metabolism, cardiometabolic health and performance, with a focus on sex differences and women's health across the lifespan. The most recent work focuses on exercise and nutrition strategies to manage menstrual symptoms, nutritional supplementation to support exercise performance, and high-intensity interval training for the promotion of muscle maintenance and healthy aging. Dr. Hirsch completed postdoctoral training, research training in the Center for Translational Research and Aging in Aging and Longevity at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. She completed her PhD in Human Movement Science and MA in Exercise Physiology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and BS in Exercise Science at Truman State University. She is a certified exercise physiologist with the American College of Sports Medicine and a certified sports nutritionist with the International Society of Sports Nutrition. In other words, she knows more about this than us. <laughs> Katie, thank you. Welcome. Yay. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. We're beyond excited. Thank you again so much. So we're gonna we're gonna dive straight in because menopause is without question the the most requested topic we've had, I think, Courtney in the last probably two to three years. Yes. And and to be honest, we can't do it justice. So we've now got someone who can. So Katie, we want to throw over to you to begin with by just asking a real simple question, like what actually happens with, with a woman's body and body composition as far as weight loss, weight gain goes during menopause and the transition? Yeah, so lots of things start to happen. And I will say it's an area... I get lots of questions on, and I know women have lots of questions on, like what is happening in this time? And something to remember as I talk about this, the menopause transition is different for everybody. So no two stories are the same, uh, which makes it a really unique time um, for all women. But in general, basically, as we go through that menopause transition, especially in the years leading up to menopause, when we lose the menstrual cycle for a full year. That would be our mark of we've reached menopause and crossed over. 
So those years leading up, we see these changes in sex hormones. So mostly estrogen, progesterone, estrogen being our kind of dominating factor. And overall, we're going to see this decline in estrogen. So the issue with that, though, where the problems come is it's not just a steady decline in estrogen and progesterone. Through that whole time period, those hormones are fluctuating. Sometimes they're high, sometimes they're low, they're changing frequently. There's no longer a cycle to it like we were used to during the premenopausal period. So it's just kind of chaos. You're getting highs and lows. And what that does is it causes a lot of chaos with our metabolism. Our body has a really hard time adjusting to that. It's trying to respond to the changes in estrogen, progesterone that's impacting our metabolism. Are we using carbs or fats for energy? So generally, while all that's happening, it's creating kind of an inflammatory environment in our body. And generally, over time, that change and that inflammation that's happening starts to lead to increases in weight, increases in body fat, and even beyond body fat, we see changes in that fat distribution. So prior to this perimenopausal period, there's usually more fat distribution subcutaneously right below the skin, but also more around the hip region. That's where estrogen likes to direct fat. But as this estrogen goes down and we lose that, fat starts to get directed more abdominally. So you'll start to see increases in fat around your stomach region, um, especially visceral fat, which is more right around your organs and a little more metabolically risky related to diabetes, metabolic diseases, things like that. So we see that change. And then less often considered, that's what we usually focus on is those fat changes and what's the risk of greater body fat on our health. But at the same time, there's also this loss in muscle mass happening. And so that's a lot of where my stuff is focusing is on maintaining that muscle mass. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. So on the subject of muscle mass, though, like, I'm glad you touched on that. Like, why is muscle mass so important when it comes to this? Yeah. So I think muscle, most people, they hear muscles and we instantly think like, I'm big and strong, like I'm going to be able to lift heavy things. And um, that's only like a piece of the puzzle. So muscle and why I really like muscle, it's one of our most metabolically active organs. So after our vital organs, um, muscle is super important in all of our metabolism. So it's a primary site um, for substrate metabolism. So where we burn and use glucose and fats especially during exercise. That's where all that's going to happen. Um, it's also a primary driver of our metabolic rate. So when we talk about trying to burn more calories or boost our resting metabolism, really our muscle is going to be one of the best places to target that and where we can have the most impact on that if we're going to try to change it. And then all of those things together. So if I can stimulate my muscle stimulate increases, turnover in those proteins that make up my muscle. Those things drive metabolism. That starts influencing things like insulin resistance. If I'm turning over more, that relies on fat. So that starts to have maybe implications for the fat gain that's happening during that time period. Um, 
And then ultimately, if we're turning over that protein still, we're replacing old proteins with new proteins. So that can start to improve just the function of our muscle. If I have better, newer proteins in there, we're remodeling that muscle, keeping it newer, fresher, for a lack of better terms. Um, and so it's going to contract a little bit better, be stronger in that sense. And then just a fun side thing, anything that benefits muscle, muscle pulls on bones. And so that's going to benefit our bone as well. So we kind of have this cascade of not just strength and functional benefits with muscle, but a lot of metabolism. And so a lot of times what we see is even if we have higher body fat, if we can maintain healthy muscle and especially good metabolism at our muscle, um, we can avoid any of those maybe metabolic dysfunction. So leading to insulin resistance and things like that um, down the road just by targeting that muscle. So that muscle really, really important um, for all of us, but especially that menopause transition when we're losing muscle and maybe gaining fat. I think we could probably agree for the average woman, just listening to this alone to begin with, the word muscle coming up as a as a primary factor uh, and, and consideration with menopause probably wasn't high on the bingo chart. Yes. So with um with with muscle mass and, and menopause, how do how do these things change as they as we age or as as women ages through this? Yeah. So for everybody, men and women, um, muscle mass tends to decrease with age. That's just something that happens. That starts actually pretty early at around age thirty. Um, it starts to decline. Now it's slow and gradual and we can exercise and do things to maintain it, but it does decline with age. Um, same thing with body fat. We too tend to see that increase. Um, but we have some recent data. So in collaboration with Dr. Abby Smith Ryan, she's at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. We've collaborated on this topic a good amount, but, um, she has some good data looking at women across that time period, pre, peri, post. And we saw when we compared between those three time periods, the changes were actually happening between the pre and perimenopausal women and then continuing or maintaining into that postmenopausal period. So one kind of limitation in the literature right now when we're trying to evaluate what's happening during this, this time period, we tend to look what do the postmenopausal women look like? What do the premenopausal women look like? And how different are they? But the unique part about the study we did is we took into account that in-between period when those hormones are fluctuating. Where is that change actually kind of happening? And it's likely happening sooner than we think. The other thing that's tricky about it is perimenopause can last years in some women. Um, and so it's this gradual decline, this gradual change. And so this dysregulation might be starting to happen and you don't really fully realize it yet. And so by the time we get postmenopausal, and this has been going on for years, potentially, if we get too far, it may be hard to reverse it by the time we get postmenopausal. That doesn't mean we can't. That doesn't mean it's not possible. But if we can target that dysfunction a little bit sooner, do some things preemptively, 
before it fully manifests as insulin resistance, if we can keep that muscle healthy, we can then carry that over into postmenopause and set ourselves up really well for good health during that quote unquote second half of your life. That's not truly a half, but you get what I'm saying. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the word preventative is the right word to use, but you can be sort of proactive. Yeah. This, maybe you? proactive is the better word. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> what what sort of approach would be would be recommended for, for being proactive with this? Yeah. So it's our typical things, um, exercise and nutrition. We hear that that's common with weight loss, wanting to change body comp. Um, but I think it's really shifting the way you think about it a little bit. Um, so when it comes to exercise, you talk to most women, especially as they get older, and their favorite form of exercise is walking. So walking's lovely. I love walking. I love going for walks. Um, walking is excellent for our cardiorespiratory fitness, our cardiovascular fitness, um, great things there. There's some really neat studies on lifelong aerobic exercisers that do more low to moderate steady state type exercise. And we see if they do that for their whole life, by the time they're in their seventies, physiologically and metabolically, they look about 30 years younger. Um, and so some great benefits by doing that all through your life. So definitely get your walks in. That's excellent. But if our goal is to target the muscle, walking and any other low intensity type of exercises, maybe not our best muscle target. And so those lifelong studies, especially looking at women, they saw that men who did that long term, it was able to help reduce the amount of muscle that was lost and reduce age-related inflammation that happens. But in the women, they didn't necessarily see the same effect of that lower intensity, moderate exercise. So what's likely happening, what we think might be happening is as those hormones are fluctuating, it's causing greater what we call anabolic resistance on our muscle. So our muscles still responding to things like exercise that stimulate it, but because of the chaos of the hormones and maybe added inflammation that's creating, we're not getting quite the same stimulus on the muscle and it's a little more resistant to that stimulus. So we really, especially women during that time, would probably benefit by doing something that's going to directly stimulate muscle and at a higher intensity. So in comes resistance training. Resistance training is our best stimulus of muscle, great muscle target. And so trying to make sure we're working in that resistance training a couple, two to three days a week is going to be great. Um, I encourage all women lift heavy. There's nothing wrong with that. If anything, it's going to be a greater stimulus on your muscles. Um, I usually say heavy and some women immediately think like, 500 pounds or something really kind of crazy. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. Basically, we just need to pick a weight that we could repeat or do eight to 12 reps on. And by the time we get to eight, nine, 10, that muscle's fatiguing and we can't really lift anymore. So something that's really going to work the muscle, fatigue the muscle, and you're going to get great muscle benefits of that. Um, sometimes with resistance training, that can be a little bit intimidating. Not everyone 
um, maybe knows how to do that, or maybe you have trouble getting access um, to weights, especially um, I know people that just prefer to work out at home and don't really want to go into a gym and maybe have limited access to weights at home. So another really good option um, is high intensity interval training. And so interval training, um, if you're not familiar, is just intermittent bouts of high intensity exercise. So think sprinting, um, something higher intensity, but depending on your fitness level, that may not be a sprint. So basically in the lab, we do one minute at what would be considered like 90 to 100% for you. Um, so just really hard work, you're breathing heavy, working hard for one minute, and then you get to take a one minute break, catch your breath. Um, that can be complete rest or walk for a little bit at a slow pace. And then we're just gonna repeat that 10 times. So by working in something higher intensity where you get your heart rate up, where you're breathing heavier, maybe sweating a little bit, um, that creates a great stimulus on our muscle as well. And so that's where some of my work has been is if we do HIIT training on a bike, we not only get the really good aerobic benefits that we see with um, walking, running, continuous, moderate type training, but we do get some muscle stimulus as well. Um, and so the amount of gain we can see, especially if we do it like on a bike, um, is about the same as what we lose annually uh, due to age. And so we're not going to get jacked by doing HIT, but we're still going to really stimulate that muscle. And it's especially metabolically stimulating at your muscles. So if we're trying to stimulate that turnover um, of those proteins, promote substrate utilization, so that burning of glucose, burning of fat, HIT's a really great choice for that. So trying to get in a combo of you're walking, you're lifting, and then trying to work in a day or two of that high intensity is going to be really good for stimulating muscle. That's uh, that's exactly what we recommend to our clients, what we do ourselves, that, uh, that nice mixture of structured resistance yeah. training, focusing on progressive overload, uh, high intensity cardio work, like the, you know, the HIIT training, and of course, you know, the, the less intense movement. There's, there's where, where possible, that recommended nice blend is uh is, is a good balance and i think it's also probably worth touching on we talk about lifting heavy like you said yourself like a lot of thoughts will think oh i've got to be powerlifting with this like no heavy is relevant to the individual like yeah. Yeah. there's heavy heavy for matt might be different to heavy for a, the woman next to me you know in the absolutely. gym absolutely absolutely it's, it's so relevant to the individual same even with uh with hit training as well oh yeah so that's my favorite examples. I think people hear hit and high intensity and they like immediately jump to CrossFit athletes or something. Yeah. Uh, kudos to CrossFit athletes. Like, yeah, that is kind of a form of high intensity interval training. Um, but it doesn't have to look like that. Like if you're a beginner exerciser, that might just look like power walking um, for a minute and just increasing that speed and then taking a break. Maybe it looks like walking really fast up your stairs at home multiple times. Um, so it's all relative to you. We've done HIT studies in all populations, healthy, elderly, cancer patients, people with knee osteoarthritis, 
everyone can do it. And we see really great benefits um, from it. It's short, it's quick, and it's really just um, our best stimulus. And we get great benefits just from a couple of days a week. So yeah, all relative to the person. Pick the style too that works for you. Like I have a cousin with terrible knees. And so he does it in the pool um, and just will sprint back and forth and do laps that way. Um, I know other people that walk it. Other people do it on a row machine. It's um, easy to do with what's best for you and what you enjoy and will do. For beginners, uh, especially we find with clients that are are fairly new to to exercise and intense structured exercise, if they've got access to a gym, the the cardio machines at the gym are great to to learn HIIT training. Like a, mm-hmm. a recumbent bike, gentle on the joints. Yep. But you can make it a pretty a pretty hard slog if need Absolutely. be. Same that you mentioned with um with walking as well, like simple incline power walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's one of the beauty of exercise. Like there's there's it's something for anyone. Absolutely. At yeah. Any level. It's uh it, it is human nature to go straight to the top of the food chain and think like oh CrossFit athletes, powerlifting <laughs> athletes. Like no, that's not where that's not where they started. Exactly. We're not all Olympic athletes. It's okay. <laughs> so with um with with resistance exercise, mm-hmm. you've mentioned um you've mentioned the the benefits of it. Do you do you find in your in your research, your observations, the do you have sort of recommendations on on how how to structure a resistance program to gradually get stronger and, and really target the muscles? Yeah, so a lot of, I would say my work is focused on what's going to be most feasible and easy for people to translate and do. And so a lot of times the way we'll structure it in our studies is kind of like a high intensity style um, where we're going to do three sets of eight to 12 reps of muscles across the body. So trying to focus on big muscle groups, that's also going to be the most metabolically stimulating. So working in something that's going to work legs, arms, chest, back, the whole, get that whole gamut, anything where we can combine those exercises to a squat into a press, um, all that's great for stimulation. So we tend to structure it. A lot of times I think, um, for menopausal and perimenopausal aged women, especially, um, they don't have a lot of time. I mean, I'm an assistant professor and I don't have a lot of time in my life. Um, but once you throw in kids, family responsibilities, a lot of these women are like peak career time. And so finding things that are time efficient and effective are going to be super important. So, Um, your workouts don't need to be hours long necessarily. So that's where structuring something with a good amount of reps, um, getting that full body in, and then just keeping your rest time short. Um, we can keep that workout going. That also keeps your metabolism going. And so you're going to still get that good muscle stimulus, um, without having to spend hours, um, really nitpicking apart the workout. Exercise selection can play a critical part there. Like you've mentioned, uh, you know, working the whole body. So those big compound compound movements, learning those at, at relatively modest weights and gradually building yourself up can be very time effective there too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were we were always taught that with those those big compound movements like you know, deadlift, squats, shoulder press, lat pull down, et cetera, we call them pinnacle 
exercises yeah. because they're they're a great place to to start a workout and to build a training program off of. And I mm-hmm. think it's probably worth mentioning for a lot of women as well. Um, not only you don't need to spend much time in the gym, you probably don't need to spend as many days in there as you might think. Right. I just for I think you've touched on the time factor. Like what you can yeah. what you can sustain is the right way to go about it. Yep. Yep. But like one one day of a full body session each week is a whole lot better than none. Oh yeah. Yeah. This yeah, I think um obviously not for all women, but I think a lot of us tend to take a like all or nothing. Um, I either got to do it like all the way, the best way, or it's not happening at all. And that's, we have to give ourselves that grace and find that middle ground. So yeah, just like you said, you can get great benefits from one day a week. If you can only lift weights one day a week, I'd rather you do that than none. Um, two days better than one day. If you hate cardio and you would rather lift weights every day, great, do that. Maybe work in a little bit of cardio. There's some good benefits there. But like, if that's what you enjoy, go for it. Um, consistency in exercise vastly outweighs anything else. So we can get nitpicky and break it apart. But ultimately, if you can get some movement in consistently, um, that's going to be the best. Mm, a golden rule we have with our with our, our clients is the best program is the one you can stick to. Yeah, yeah. What about diet when it comes to this? What are the what are the sort of recommendations and, and things we're looking for with diet with with women going through menopause? Yeah, so diet's going to be super important. Um, nutrition's a big part that comes into this. I think through all the years, a lot of women we get fed the message if we're trying to lose fat um, and maintain a certain figure. Um, calorie restriction and eating less and avoiding certain foods. And especially I think as you start bringing kids into the picture um, and careers, then it becomes even a little bit trickier. Um, And a lot of times, you know, we see women, especially during that perimenopausal period, maybe complaining or discussing like fatigue and being really tired, having trouble focusing. And a lot of times, women tend to be kind of under fueling. And so calories are going to be really important, but a lot of times we see women skipping meals, maybe getting interrupted mid-meal and not getting all of that. So first and foremost, I would say, make sure you are appropriately fueling. We don't want to overeat, but we also don't want to under consume. Um, the female body is very well designed, um, for survival. So we're very sensitive to that calorie intake. Um, so that's going to be really important. Make sure you're fueling, especially fueling your exercise. And so then your key diet principles still remain, get good fruits and vegetables, focus on whole foods, whole grains, all that stays the same. But if we're trying to keep it really simple, big diet changes are kind of hard. So if we've got that already kind of put in, easy things we can do, I encourage really focusing on your protein intake and especially timing your protein and maybe some carbohydrate right around that workout. So there's some interesting data that women don't maybe respond as well metabolically to fasted exercise. A lot of women think, okay, if I'm trying to lose more fat or change my body comp, I should do my exercise fasted um, and avoid, you know, excess calories. But if we're changing our 
thinking and focusing more on what can I do to promote muscle. Um, we actually have some neat data showing that if you eat around that workout, that does help better support muscle. We know that. Um, but for women in particularly, it promotes some good metabolic adaptation right after that workout. So if you consume protein compared to carbohydrate right before your workout, do a high intensity session, we see greater increases in post-exercise calorie burning. So post-exercise metabolic rate and that uh, metabolic rates mostly coming from fat burning during that time after the workout. So getting that protein before what it's doing is it's stimulating muscle, supporting muscle through the workout, preventing breakdown during the workout. And then after it's encouraging that protein turnover, our muscles now more stimulated because protein stimulates muscle, exercise stimulates muscle, they synergistically stimulate it. That's all going to promote more calories and more fat after the workout. So getting some food in before has great metabolic benefits. It's also, you're going to feel a whole lot better um, mm. just during the workout. So feeling more fueled, like you have more energy. Um, some neat results from a study I did Um I guess the results got published just maybe a year ago, but getting some protein or amino acids right before interval training specifically, women reported um, lower perceived exertion during the workout. So the workout was still hard. They still said it felt hard, like a eight on a scale of one to 10. Um, but a difference of like those without maybe said it felt very hard. Um, and so if you think about you just feel stronger, you feel better, you're going to get a little more out of that workout. If you feel better, you're more likely to do it again. Um, so performance booster. Yeah, no, absolutely. Performance booster and just mental booster. Um, it's hard to get yourself to do something hard every single day. So if it feels a little bit better, um, that definitely helps. So getting that timing. Um, something before and then getting something after too. timing that protein after um, helps with that muscle recovery, muscle growth, and we can kind of maintain that longer. So great benefits for getting it right around that workout. Um, they're going to be good. I think um, there's a lot to be said as well about you mentioned with the the uh, performance boosting that will come yeah. from you know, adequately fueling. Like That's also the confidence booster. Because you you've mm -hmm. got more you've got more energy you've got more strength just more more up and about with uh with your training session that does a lot mentally as well like oh yeah we've, we've all gone through it we've all had it where it's yeah. like wow I'm really killing this today yeah yeah you feel good you're like I'm crushing this um you know a key time for this I think is morning exercise so a lot of times we're trying to get up get the workout in. We maybe don't have time to eat something and allow it to digest, especially if you have maybe a more sensitive stomach, but drinking something. So whether it's a protein shake or this is where I like to do maybe like a free form essential amino acid supplement goes down real easy. And it just gives you that boost in your workout um, that you need. And then you can get a really good breakfast in after um, to support that recovery. And then you're, yeah, doing great. So great to fit in, um, in that morning workout, especially. We'll often recommend exactly that, uh, with our clients who prefer to get their, their training done first thing in the morning. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're not always gonna be able to get up 
first thing and then put put a meal away, then go straight to the gym. But hey, yeah. some strategic strategic supplementation, like a high quality protein powder and like a good a good you know, like sports carbohydrate yep. source. Yep. Drink drink it, hit it, then it's breakfast time. Exactly, exactly. I like it. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily need to be a five star gourmet meal at four thirty in the nope. morning before you're at the gym at five a.m. <laughs> You really want to throw in a few berries, but yeah, no, it doesn't need to be fancy. I think um, something you mentioned before, Katie, that I think is would challenge a lot of uh, a lot of beliefs. You you spoke about potential ineffectiveness of fasted cardio, yeah, with women. That is uh, that is a big deal in uh, yeah. in our line of work and in 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 the fitness and weight loss industry in general. Is is I would I'm going to use the word myth. Uh, uh-huh. About uh, about the effectiveness or uh, of fasted cardio, and now we're, we've got you on here saying like, actually, maybe don't do that. <laughs> well, I'll add the caveat too. I think the reason, I mean, if you really look at the data, it's like it doesn't really make that much of a difference, especially if we're trying to lose fat. It doesn't seem to make that much difference. But a limitation with the data is a lot of those studies are in men. Um, there's limited actual data on these types of topics in women and our hormones are different. Our physiology is different. And so I really do think, especially for women, um, it's really not as good of an idea. Um, obviously we do it and we make it through, um, but we can do a lot better by trying to get some type of nutrition in, um, proximal to that workout. So, um, yeah, I'm a big advocate for getting nutrition around the workout. Yeah. We're, we're the exact same with, with ourselves and our clients, like, Hey, fuel up. Like you're going to, you're going to be asking your body to perform at the highest level you can do like adequately fuel for this. And I think for a lot of, a lot of women and, and just people in general, because it's not just women that do faster cardio, like it is, it is the guys too. Like even just take the time to experiment like test yeah. out test out a couple of sessions fasted versus not fasted be it a meal or even just some strategic supplementation and assess mm-hmm. the difference and you'll probably notice yeah. a a hell of a change a hell of an improvement oh yeah with a bit of fuel in there and especially as you start changing you know am i getting mostly carbohydrate like a lot of people like to do a granola bar or something mm-hmm. before how does that feel compared to a protein shake or something, a protein bar, whatever you prefer to take. Um, do you notice even differences between those? Um, and it's amazing. Sometimes you really can tell some big differences. Mm, like I know for me, like I've tested out bananas, oats, yeah. uh, very, very high-end carbohydrate supplements, uh, right down to just good old-fashioned Gatorade. Yep. You know, and you just test and test and measure based on your your individual body. There's sort of no no wrong way to go about that. You just find what what sits well and what works yeah. well, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, another another question. Something you mentioned earlier. You spoke about with uh, with diet and you know, adequately adequately eating and fueling, etc. You you mentioned about um, potential under under consuming under consumption of food. What are the risks that can come with that? with underconsumption? Yeah. So the big one that comes with underconsumption um, is general low energy availability. And so in the literature, we call that red S or some may be familiar with like female athlete triad. Um, so that would be long-term severe underconsuming, consuming um, where we start to have endocrine disruptions, 
a lot of serious fatigue, performance decrements, starting to get into um, potential bone fracture. That's a big marker that starts to happen. Um, and so if we do that too long, women are especially susceptible to those consequences. And it can take a while to rebound from that and recover from that. Um, and so making sure we stay out of that, I think the biggest sign and symptom a lot of women probably feel is that fatigue and brain fog, maybe some trouble focusing. Um, and it can make it a little more difficult um, to change our body composition and to stay consistent with our exercise because you're tired and fatigued and um, metabolism can shift um, to try to protect your body, preserve your body. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, the female body especially is designed for survival. Um, if you put us in a really extreme situation, um, our bodies are going to do whatever it takes to survive through it. Um, and so it, I think our bodies are really sensitive to those caloric changes. So making sure we're at least meeting basal metabolic needs, which that just means what does my body need to support my heart beating, my brain functioning, normal cell repair and turnover, there is kind of a baseline. We can go below that if we go below that for too long, say three weeks a month, um, that's when some maladaptation may start to happen. So I usually recommend we at least meet that minimum threshold. And then if we take into account all the activity we do in a day, that still includes heavy thinking, um, as well as getting to and from work, chasing kids, your exercise. That's the max calories we burn throughout the day. And so trying to then stay somewhere between those two, or if we're trying to gain weight in that situation, we want to go beyond. So it, then it becomes tailoring to your goal, but making sure we're at least meeting, meeting that threshold um, can make a really big difference on just day-to-day -day energy levels, especially. It's, it's one thing we noticed with, with the, especially the clients that we work with um, tend to skip meals, mm -hmm. tend to, tend to come with it as part of, as part of, I suppose, the, the type of people that we, that we work with and we, we've been ourselves is a fear of food. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's a common fear of, of overeating, but mm -hmm. uh, not much uh, attention is paid to what can happen with skipping meals, cutting calories, you know, restricting, reducing, eliminating, et cetera. Yep. It's, uh, I think, I think that's so common um, amongst females. I think it starts at a young age. Um, if you think about it, across the female lifespan, we go through through so many different hormone changes. Like you hit puberty and all these hormones start changing. And what happens in females is a gain in body fat there as well. Suddenly, you know, hips, breasts, all that starts to happen. And so you're kind of in shock and you don't know quite what your body's doing and you may or may not like what's happening. And so maybe we're not as educated then also. And so we just grab onto the first thing we hear, which is eat less, you know, don't eat sweets. Just we grab onto whatever we get. And then as we move, you know, we start to figure out our body and maybe that changes depending on what hormonal contraceptive you go on. And then if you have kids, now that's a whole other hormone roller coaster that impacts your body composition. And how do we... Um, 
maybe come back after that. And then right when you like maybe figure out your body again, if you're good, then you hit perimenopause and now it's changing all over again. And then we hit postmenopause and it's just this constant trying to figure out what is my body doing and this composition's changing and what I did in one time period maybe doesn't work in the other. And so it's all just kind of chaotic and overwhelming and stressful. And I think it's normal to latch on to, you know, what we hear, what we're told. Um, But by shifting, I think that mindset and thinking less about, okay, just how am I targeting the body fat? By targeting my muscle, if I have good, healthy, strong muscle, regardless of my body fat, my health is going to be a whole lot better. Um, And I'll feel stronger and better and all those things. I think what helps is shifting that mindset from if I'm just targeting fat, what do I need to do to support my muscle? That tends to trigger thoughts of, well, if I want to support muscle, I need to eat a little bit more regularly. Um, I need to consume around my exercise. Um, I need to fuel. I want to recover so I can exercise again. And it can naturally help shape that conversation um, and shift that mindset. So We need some of both sides, but I think for most of females' lives, we get fed the focus on the body fat side of the message, and we need to bring more of that. What does it take to be strong, healthy, fast, powerful? Um, And that's good nutrition and making sure we are fueling. And it is amazing once we fuel our bodies, um, how much better we feel and can get through our days a whole lot more. So um, yeah, it's a, it's so common. Um, I think that's every female's kind of struggle is overcoming that message. Um, especially if you're a former athlete, I think that message mm-hmm. is even stronger. Yeah, the funny thing is as well, by, by shifting <clears throat> that, that mindset and that mentality, focusing on strength building, taking care of your muscle, like preserving what you've got, let alone adding more, like there mm-hmm. is, there is the the common fear of, of if I lift too heavy, I'll get I'll get too big and jacked. Like that's harder than you think to do that. Take it from me as a yeah. male, that's very hard to do. <laughs> just keeping what you've got is a win to begin yeah. with. But, but but just focusing on that, you're actually probably going to have a better chance of addressing your body fat anyway, just by natural you know metabolic rate increases, yep. your body shape improvements. Like it's uh, you you yeah. you'll get what yeah. you want by focusing a little bit over this way instead. Yeah. 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 Uh, Totally. I always say that too. If we can focus on the muscle and get that strength and muscle component, a lot of times with time, the body comp will follow. Um, And so that's why I'm a huge, my background and research is based in body composition testing. Body comp right now kind of has a bad rap, especially in sports world. Um, We're moving away from that. And I hesitate a little bit with that because if we can't see how that composition's shifting and I lose sight, if I'm someone trying to lose weight and lose sight of what's my muscle mass, um, then it's hard to change that composition. But if I can see, look, my weight's not changing, but I'm maintaining good muscle and maybe even increasing that muscle. And that's going to change my percent body fat. Um, That's super encouraging to see and helps you stay down that path. Um, And so it's, 
body comp, it can be just like any other tool can be used incorrectly and correctly, but it's just knowing body comp measuring is way more than just a body fat measure, way more than just a percent fat measure. Um, we get those muscle measures with it as well. And that can be a good thing to focus on um, through those weight changes. So just sort of wrapping up here, what would be your top five tips for menopausal women that are on a weight loss journey? Yeah, top five tips. So if you haven't figured it out already, I would say focus on muscle. <laughs> um, keep that your center focus. Do things to support healthy muscle, strong muscle. Um, and so with that, everything's going to kind of follow. So what do we do exercise-wise? Lift heavy and lift regularly. So um, those two days a week, don't be afraid to lift heavy, really stimulate those muscles. Um, after that, I'm a huge proponent of some high intensity training. So trying to get that in at least one to two days a week, um, trading in maybe some of your steady state cardio and just shifting it to look a little more high intensity. Um, so you can still go on your walk, but just one day make it a little bit higher intensity. Um, after that is going to be more fuel focused. So we've got our exercise. So protein, make sure we're taking that home. So the key thing with protein, get good quality protein throughout the day, meet your protein goals. And then after that, highly support getting it pre post exercise right around that workout window to promote metabolism. Those would probably be my tips. Of those. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Good uh, wrap anything, up there. Anything you'd like to add, Courtney, before we bring it to a close? I, I just have one question, and you might have touched yeah. on this, but I find mostly the women that talk to me that are struggling with menopause and their bodies through this, one of their biggest, um, I guess, struggles often I find is the hormonal fluctuation that you spoke about at the start. Yep which I think a lot of women experience as a as a, quite a big symptom of menopause. Yeah. Um, and it seems to obviously be the one that they can see and feel most readily. So that's mm -hmm. why they probably focus the most on it. Do you find generally still following these sort of targets, trying to bring it back to uh, your consistent exercise routines, consistent meal um, and nutrition routines, does you, any of the um, studies done sort of show an impact on helping those symptoms or is it just one of those things you just have to manage through um, as best you can? Yeah, super great question. The symptoms are a big, big part um, in an area I've kind of started to tackle um, because that has huge impacts on our ability to exercise and how we feel and how we move throughout the day. Um, there's currently the jury's kind of out on what exactly. So when we talk about symptoms, I'm thinking things like hot flashes, the fatigue, the brain fog, um, more of those vasomotor, um, yeah. maybe some pain symptoms, um, maybe your non-traditional things like that. Um, the hard part about those symptoms is it widely varies between women. Some women get hot flashes, some do not. Um, some it lasts a long time, some do not. 
Um, yes. So it's really all over the board. So kind of hard to study, but I think that's an area we're starting to target in on more and what are things we can do um, to maybe promote better sleep nutritionally. Exercise is going to help with that. Good nutrition is going to yeah. help with that. Um, so I think without getting into a lot of detail and ways we could target each one, um, I think finding what works well for you. But these things are going to be the key baseline of it. And then you can kind of add in Taylor um, based on what's going to work best for you. Um, Yeah, honestly, that could be a whole nother podcast. But yeah, I bet. I bet. I'm throwing in a pretty big question at the end there. But um, I'm assuming I I did think that that would be an incredibly hard area to study because of exactly what you said everybody every woman seems to experience it very differently um so yeah I'm assuming that is a very very hard area to tackle but that makes sense I think sleep that you just mentioned there is probably one that we um is probably underrated and not spoken about enough as well so yeah yeah so yeah exercise gonna help that sleep yeah Uh, getting good nutrition gonna help so all those things are good baseline and then tailoring and finding what maybe helps you more. Um, There is, yeah, people working on this. We're slowly learning what's the underlying mechanisms of all these things. How can we use nutrition to target these things? Um, We're seeing supplement companies starting to kind of pop up to try to help support these things. So TBD. We'll have you back and we'll do a whole nother one on that. (laughs) The, actually, this this has also brought up a, a question in my mind as well. Have you noticed with um with women as they go through menopause, does it have any um any more detrimental effects on things like body image, relationship with with their body, things like that? Oh yeah, um, and I think that happens at every stage. But I think menopause is especially tough. Um, sorry, because you also have um, the aging factor. And so you're aging and now suddenly like your body's not responding to maybe exercise and nutrition the same way it used to. So that increase in body fat changing from now we've got more fat accumulating around the abdominal region. Um, So I think that body image is something that comes up at every hormonal stage and change. Um, But I think definitely at every stage working through what does this mean? What's my relationship with my body? Um, and how do I maintain a good, healthy relationship with how I look, feel, all those things? Yeah. I think um, one of the things that we we are real strong about with with ourselves, with our clients, et cetera, is to, we call it control the controllables. And I think mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the big takeaways from just this whole chat is that there are things that women can still control yeah. through this to the best of their ability. They're like... Your body is your body, but there are things you can do daily, weekly, monthly that will potentially add up with this. Yep. Yep. And I think, yeah, I think, yeah, little wins, celebrating the little victories. Did I get my workout in today? Great. Okay. We're being consistent. Now we're going to add on another layer. Um, And also, I think just like every other phase, kind of accepting like this is happening. We're going to work through it the best we can. And embracing that next chapter with it um, and what our bodies can do after that. Um, I'm a big track and field fan, and I've been loving seeing all these um, women clear into their 90s. Um, 
running, setting records. Um, that's pretty inspiring. So there's like no age limit on what we can do. And women are now, you know, showing that performance across the whole age range. So just, yeah, it's another phase to adapt to and it has its own challenges. Um, so giving yourself grace, um, knowing that changes take time, um, adjustment takes time. So I think, um, women, women in their nineties on the track, like that is goals. It's, it's my up. life goal, literally. Like if, 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 if my I can, sights are set on the hundred-year-old record, hundred-meter mm-hmm. oh, dash for hundred-year-olds. Like that that is that is that is inspiring, but also heartwarming because it's like, hey, like yeah, we are, aging's part of part of the life process, but you can still be active. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I think Not, that there speaks uh, to a lot of that. What you just mentioned as well, sorry, speaks to a quality of life. And a yeah. functionality that you can still have as you mm-hmm. get older. Because I've, yeah. I, I know we've heard it plenty of times, Courtney, people even in their 40s talking about they're too old. And it's like, what? Yeah. I always say don't disqualify yourself um, mm. before too early. We, yeah, it just looks a little bit different, but you can set new goals. Um, I was a former runner and we always joke like we have um, – post-competitive PRs. Like those were my PRs when I was training like an athlete. I don't train like a collegiate athlete necessarily anymore. So I have new PRs Um, and they can be little things too. Um, So just shifting that mindset, keeping it fun, keeping it exciting. um, Always good. You mentioned new goals as well. There's a lot to be said about having new carrots to chase. To, to keep you to keep you invested to keep you striving for improvement or you know gradual progression as as things change like there's there's a lot to be said I think for that as well like it's something that we see a lot Courtney with people that, that in in our line of work is they think that their weight loss goal is their big finish line goal and they'll they'll, they'll achieve this and that's it they'll live happily ever after and we try to dr- drum into them like hey there's more after that and there should be more after that too. <laughs> Life goes on after. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It does. I think honestly, through my research and HIT, that's been some of the most uh, rewarding feedback we get from our studies. Just, you know, eight weeks of exercise and we have people reporting, you know, I could continue to play with my kids or my grandkids and I didn't fatigue out as early. Or I remember one lady was so excited. Um, her and her friends went on an annual hiking trip. And she said for the first time, she was the one trying to get the group to keep going rather than the one who needed to stop and take a break. Um, and so just, yeah, those little things. Can you embrace life and live it to the fullest um, for as long as we can? So we, I think those are the wins. We talk about that with with you know, the people that we work with, with weight loss. Like it isn't just about how you look. There's how you function. There's how you feel. Mm-hmm. as well with these and they're all as important as each other and you know we, yeah. we we teach that any any program or any protocol or any methodology that doesn't address how you look how you function how you feel like red flags yeah 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 so i think i think we're done thank you so much dr katie you. you've you've made yeah. us a whole lot smarter <laughs> this was great i had a lot of fun thank you can um where where could people find you i believe you're on twitter yeah, Twitter's a good spot. So at Hirsch K T. Um, I post a lot of as I find good science and I just like to share articles on there. Um, sometimes share study opportunities. So those pop up on there too sometimes. 
So yeah, check me out there and always, you know, happy to answer questions. I'll uh, I'll put a link to to your Twitter uh, in the show notes so people that listen listening through say Spotify can literally just click the button and go and go straight there. Give her a follow. She's clearly extremely well educated and experienced when it comes to this, and we could all stand to get smarter, couldn't we? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and stronger if we're going to be stronger that hundred year a hundred year old record. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Might have so, some competition now for that record, Katie. That you're racing for it. Let's go. <laughs> so, thank you. We hope we hope you're listening. Have gotten a lot from this, Doctor Katie. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you. Thank you. Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 